Well, hello everyone and good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. We're doing good. Great. Uh, we are so glad uh, that you could be with us this morning. My name is Cooper Young. I get to serve as the associate pastor here. And I will say, Mick does keep saying like, and we're excited that Cooper's starting his ministry here. I do just want you all to know there is no conversation of me going anywhere else, okay? I mean, I understand everything is in God's hands, but like I personally have burned the ships, okay? And so... Unless God builds another ship, I'm going to be here for as long as he'll have me. So uh, I just want to, in case that felt weird. Anyways, um, so glad that you're here. If you're new and it's your first time, we are, oh, is that right? <laughs> no, that's not it. No, but I appreciate it. Um, I, before I forget, I want to say hello to everyone joining us online. Uh, we are so glad that you could be joining in YouTube, Facebook, and to all of our friends at the Madison County Correctional Facility. We love you all so much. Uh, tonight is going to be a big night. We might talk about that a little, a little bit in a second. But if you're new with us, we are in a new series entitled A New Way. And so uh, it is a new year, and we're about a month into it already, which is kind of crazy. 2023 is already uh, flying by at this point. But one of Jesus disciples, Matthew, uh, wrote an account of the life of Jesus that we know as the book of Matthew, right? And so we're about five chapters through the book of Matthew at this point, and we've been following the life of Jesus, and we've learned a lot about Jesus. We learned that Jesus wasn't just some carpenter from Nazareth. We've also seen him be baptized by John the baptizer, and then he announced that he was the Messiah. And to confirm that, Jesus's father in heaven called down from heaven and said that this is his son whom he loves and is well pleased. Uh, we've seen Jesus literally defeat the devil on his own playing field, doing what he was best at. Uh, we've seen Jesus call fishermen, just some regular commercial fishermen, to come and follow him, and they left everything behind to follow him. We've seen Jesus perform miracles. We've seen him perform healings. And now Jesus has amassed this huge crowd of followers and just regular people, passers-by who are attending, and they're listening to the things that this man Jesus is talking about, trying to figure out for themselves, who is this guy, right? And so that's the question that they're asking. And last week, Pastor Mick talked to us about Jesus's introduction to his first public sermon, his first public talk, right? The most famous sermon ever given, the best sermon introduction ever, uh, a million times better than one you're hearing right now, okay? And it's this very famous passage of scripture, this, this very famous section called the B attitudes. If you missed the message, I would encourage you to go back on YouTube, not right now, but afterwards, go, if, well, if you're watching online, go back and watch it. Anyways, if, but if you're here, don't do that. And so do it afterwards uh, and listen. But um, I would encourage you to watch it because uh, it was awesome. Mick does a great job. And, uh, but Jesus really introduces to the world in that message the people who are beyond blessed in the kingdom because of the new way of life that Jesus brought. This was no uh, uh, normal kind of blessing that people were receiving. This was something bigger. This was something better. And, and those that Jesus said were even more blessed, no one in the world until Jesus would have called these kinds of people blessed given their current situation, right? Jesus was the first. So the things that he was introducing, they were new. They were never heard or seen before. And so, uh, uh, and that's because Jesus, he brought with him a kingdom from heaven 
to earth. It's not the full actualization of that kingdom. We'll talk about that later. But he brought a way in which we can experience his kingdom from heaven here on earth. And it was not what the world was used to, right? It was an upside down kingdom, right? Where the first were last and the last were first. It was backwards. It was united and it had a different purpose than any kingdom people had ever seen before. It was different. It was better. It was new. It was very new. But why was it that way, right? And so at this point in the story, Jesus has made himself known in a lot of different ways. We just talked about a couple, but we'll go back over them. A carpenter, the Messiah, the Son of God, a healer, a miracle worker, an influencer, right? And now he gets up on this mountainside, and for the first time, we're really seeing him in this passage reveal himself as the teacher of all teachers. Nobody taught like Jesus. And he's got a lot to teach the world on when it comes to this new way of life that he brought with him from heaven. And so, so after he's gotten done listening to Beatitudes, right, what quickly, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, uh, those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, those who are blessed, right? After he was done teaching those ideas about the upside down ways of viewing people in the world through a kingdom lens, he starts saying, blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil and wicked things about you because of me. And this is important. Remember, it's like Mick said last week. Here, he's not talking to the entire crowd of people who are listening. He is talking specifically to his disciples. People who would have called themselves followers of Jesus. Not just the ones who wanted to show up for the quick Jesus show, right, to get some kind of quick fix, some kind of quick healing, just to hear a good word from Jesus, right? But this was for those who wanted to make following Jesus, learning from Jesus, becoming more like Jesus in every moment of their life kind of a thing. And then he concludes saying, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward, not on earth, so don't expect it here, but in heaven. For in the same way you'll be persecuted, the same way the prophets before you were persecuted. And you can bet. All of those Jewish disciples, they knew exactly how the Old Testament prophets had been treated and how they had been persecuted for their obedience to God, and it was the opposite of heaven on earth. If you, like, if that makes sense to you, right? And so, so for many, it cost them their entire life. And Jesus is not done speaking to those followers yet. And so we're going to pick up what he keeps saying, okay? It's going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 to 16. It's four verses. It's a good scripture. It's a little short little thing. Verses 13 to 16. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you can pull it out. If you've got a phone, you can scroll there. If not, it will be up here on the screen. And so it says this. Jesus is saying, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. 
A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and place it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so, the title of my message today is Light Up the Salt City. Light up the salt city, okay? So here's my question. How many people have grown up in central New York? Show of hands. Go ahead. Lot, holy moly, lots of people. Not a lot of people move here. Okay, so maybe... Maybe, maybe you've been around Syracuse your entire life. Uh, maybe this has been your home for a long time, right? Or maybe you, maybe you were in fact born here, right? And so, so when you think of Syracuse, what is Syracuse known for? Like, what are the staples of Syracuse? I'm listening. Man, these are, wow, these are really, those are good. Yeah, I agree with a lot of those, okay? And so here's the thing, though. We grew up here. So, like, we know the things in Syracuse, but I was really, like, curious about, like, what do outside people of Syracuse know about Syracuse? And so I looked up, I looked up on Google. Google is a trusted source. And so I looked up on Google. I said, what is Syracuse famous for? And it gave me a list of 15. And I think it was pretty accurate because a lot of you said some of those things. So here are the top 15 things that your city is known for. And we'll start at 15 and then we'll work our way up. Number 15, Destiny USA, which is forgetful, honestly, because maybe what Destiny was supposed to be and it's just not that. Okay, so that's 15. So we'll just lose that one. Number 14, Armory Square, right? Again, maybe in a heyday, but like, I guess it's got like cool architecture if you're into like abandoned stuff. Anyways, number 13. <laughs> number 13. <laughs> Do you know what number 13 is? Snow. Isn't that something? You wouldn't think it this year, but we're known for having a lot of snow. And this fact was surprising. We are actually known for having the most snowfall of any metropolitan area in the entire United States, okay? Now, I don't know what metropolitan area exactly means, but whatever that actually like means, we're known for being the most snow, okay? So it's pretty amazing. Number 12, the upside down traffic light. Do people know the upside down traffic light? Okay, great job. Yeah, so like, you know, Irish people who really like green and rebellion. And so that's what we're, and then we have, Number 11, Little Italy. People bend a Little Italy in Syracuse? Yeah, we got some head nods. It exists. Some of you are like, I've never heard of it. Well, there you go. That's number 11, uh, right? Because where does, where does the name Syracuse come from? The Syracusa. Yeah, Syracusa, right? From Sicily, Italy. And so where are my Canastota Italians at? Anyone? Yeah? yeah? Where, are you, where are you guys at? Yeah? Boston Meatballs. I married into it. It's fine. Okay. Forget about it. Now, here's the thing. Number 10. Ten, we have the Onondaga Nation, quickly followed by nine, Onondaga Lake. Famous for its great summer lake life. No, it's definitely not. If you're, <laughs> if you're new, don't do that. That would be horrible. It's actually known for being one of the most polluted bodies of water in the entire world. And so, number eight, number eight, this is a big one right here. This is kind of the title. Number eight, the Salt City, right? The Salt City. There are natural uh, stream-fed uh, 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 salt springs, I couldn't think of the word, salt springs that, that are into Syracuse, and Syracuse was the main supplier of salt across the entire country for the entire uh, 19th century, and so they called us the Salt City, and we actually got the name Syracuse from that fact, because in Syracuse, Sicily, Sicily, Italy, that's two together, okay, Sicily, Italy, 
The same thing is true there. So they have a lot of salt springs. Anyways, uh, number six, uh, or sorry, number seven, salt potatoes. Okay, salt potatoes. So someone said that. That was really good. Not the baseball team, the food. Okay, and number six, dinosaur barbecue. Some more, any dinosaur fans? Yeah, okay, great, yep. Number five, the Great New York State Fair, where you can experience all of this in one tent that's like the width of this room, and it's amazing. It's quite a place. Number four, and I disagree with this one off the bat, but Marshall Street, okay, Marshall Street's fine and all, but like number four for all of Syracuse, I think that's bananas. Anyways, uh, number three, the number 44, okay, the number 44. Do people know the legend of 44? If you don't know it, you need to know it because you live around Syracuse. Okay, so go look up the legend of 44. Literally, the zip codes on Syracuse's campus are changed to the end numbers being 44. It's a big deal. Now, here's the thing. The last one is, oh, no, sorry, second to last one, number two. The used-to-be carrier dome, now JMA wireless dome, right? The dome where winning almost happens all the time. You know what I mean? It's like you get right to the end and they rip your heart out. It's the worst. Anyways... Not that you watched the game yesterday. And so, and then, yeah, Hokies fan. Uh, And then number one, what is Syracuse, the city of Syracuse, most known for? Syracuse University. Syracuse University. That that is what we are most known for. Okay, so then why am I telling you things you already know? Well, in summary and summation, we learned that in Syracuse, we're known for Irish people who promote car accidents, Italians... Italians who, like the rest of our city, love unhealthy food. We have the worst weather. We have the most polluted bodies of water, the best college life, sports teams that love to let you down, and salt. Okay? Not exactly a vacation hotspot. Now, it's also not exactly the happiest place to live either. These, these will get you. Did you know that we are the eighth cloudiest city in all of the United States? You're like, Cooper, obviously. Have you looked outside? Yeah, eighth cloudiest city in the United States. We're also, because of that, we're number eight again, we're the eighth most depressed city in all of the United States. So that's not great. And here's one last one. We are also the 31st most unchurched and unreached city in all of the United States. Do you know how many cities there are in America? There are 108,000 cities. So we are on the wrong end of those lists, okay? That's a problem. That's why a lot of people don't move here, like we just kind of talked about, right? So this isn't great. So my question is, why are we here? You know what I mean? Like, why are we here? Elijah's like, I'm born here and I've stuck it out. Why are we here? I believe we're here for a reason. I believe that God brought you into this room today for a reason. Okay? And I believe that we live where we live for a reason. And I believe it's to see God change all of central New York through us by the power of his love, his grace in the gospel. Especially because those those last two stats, those are pretty sad. And I really believe that we can do something about it. Now, there was this one time, there was this one time I got to sit with the chancellor of Syracuse University, okay? I was a freshman at Syracuse. The chancellor comes up to me. He gives me his card. 
Friends, I was a freshman. This is not a regular occurrence, okay? This is, no one experiences this. This is kind of crazy, okay? So I was like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. So like he wants to meet with me one-on-one in his office. Again, this is not something that happens to like anyone, not students, not staff, not faculty. No one could get one-on-one time with the chancellor unless you're like his inner circle. He gives me his card. He wants to meet one-on-one. So I, I schedule a date. He's a very busy man. Did I mention this doesn't happen a lot, okay? So this is a big deal. So I go up into his office, right? This is like being like literally with the president. And so I go up in there and he's got this penthouse with a lot of glass windows. It's like a fishbowl. It's got the best view of campus. People have heard of it, but not many people have seen it. I have. Did I mention this doesn't happen a lot? Yeah, this is like a, you're not impressed yet. That's okay. So I'm sitting in the office of the penthouse of the chancellor at Syracuse University. And I'm looking at this beautiful campus. And I'm sitting across from the chancellor. And remember, the Syracuse University is the bright spot of Syracuse, New York. What we're most famous for, what people come here for. Because this is a big deal. I'm sitting across from the chancellor. He looks at me and he says, Cooper, I am not kidding when I tell you this is the most soulless place I have ever been. I thought that was striking. And he's the chancellor of the university. And so, why do I tell you this? I tell you this because you might be wondering, Cooper, why did he even want to talk to you? Well, that's a good question. So, the chancellor actually found out that I wanted to go into ministry after my time at Syracuse, that I was planning on going to seminary as a freshman. And he wanted to know why I was at Syracuse if that was the plan for my life. And I said, that's a very good question. Because he said, this doesn't make any sense. Now you say, why was he curious about that? Because the chancellor also wanted to go to seminary after his time at school. His parents made him get a law degree instead. And so then that was where his life went. But he also wanted to become a minister. And he's like, I can't figure out why you would choose this place to go to school for your undergrad, knowing that this is where you want to go. And so, the most soulless place he's ever been. See, I don't think it's soulless. Okay? I think the city is actually full of souls. But they're mostly lost, and they're all in need of a Savior. And now you may wonder how the chancellor found out I was considering pursuing a life of ministry. You might wonder that. That's a good question. Now, the chancellor loves to throw these dinners at his mansion on campus for this guy right here. Okay? Now, I was at one of these dinners and he found, doesn't matter why, and he, he, he found out that I, this is what I was planning on doing after school. I am personally offended that he is not on the top 15 of what Syracuse is most famous for. I'm so glad someone said his name, but who is that? Otto. Otto, thank you. I mean, come on. Okay, anyways, now, maybe you know this about me, maybe you don't. This isn't the first time you maybe heard me say this, and this probably won't be the last time. So, um... When I was a student at Syracuse University, I was Otto the Orange. Doesn't matter, but I was. And so I was, no, I don't need applause with the, gosh. I was a Division I athlete. You can clap for that. No, I'm just, that's <laughs> details. No one cares. No one cares. Anyways, it was a crazy experience, but here's what I know. Okay, here's what I know. 95% of the people who live in central New York love Otto the Orange, okay? The other 5% are probably under the age of five or they're just wrong. Does that make sense? Because he is the man. And so um, I'm not biased, but it's true. Now, listen, 
When anyone sees Otto walking out in public, it makes their whole day. I'm not kidding. It's amazing. Not only does it make people's day, but they light up. They want to be around Otto. They go out of their way to run up to him, to talk to him about their day. They want to get a picture. They want a hug. It's amazing. No matter where Otto goes, he changes the entire environment that he's in for the better. And it's not even just one person, right? Like there are crowds of people who will like come out of their windows on the street or they'll like run outside in like their bathrobe or they'll be from street corners and they'll be calling out trying to get Otto's attention. It's a crazy thing. But what's even crazier is people. You've lived in this city your whole life and a lot of people don't know his name. Okay, they'll be like, Ali, Ali. Over here, Ali! I'm like, that's not his name. Or like, you have a little kid's going to be like, Mom, Mom, it's Mr. Cheese Puff! Look at the Mr. Cheese Puff! And I'm like, no, but that's kind of cute. And this is my favorite one. It's like, Oliver. Oliver! Oliver the Orange! And I'm like, no, it's Otto, but that's fine. And so, but people, they want his attention. They want to be around him, okay? And yes, he's an orange. But, but what is it about Otto that everyone wants to be around? I mean, he looks and acts so different from the rest of the world around him, yet he is still so attractive to the rest of the world around him. He never says anything verbally, I promise. Maybe that's why he's so likable, but, but he's constantly communicating with people, right? Like through his gestures and through his actions, he's always smiling, so we could take some notes from Otto. Yeah. He welcomes everyone that comes up to him. And not only does he welcome them, but he is legitimately excited to see them. Okay? And he's always looking for ways to serve other people in the community that he's in. He's a giant furry orange with blue legs, blue arms, and a baseball hat. He looks weird. Okay? It's very, it's a weird thing. But even though he looks different than everyone else, they actually love that about him. Because he also acts different than everyone else. And he changes the whole atmosphere around him for the better. He lights up the world around him and people are drawn to that little orange light wherever he goes. And Syracuse is a dark city, okay? Physically, not a lot of sun. Emotionally, one of the most oppressed. And spiritually, one of the most unchurched in our country. And the truth is, it doesn't take a lot to be a light in the dark salt city. And you and I, we are called to be salt and light right where God has us. So remember, Jesus in this passage, he is specifically directing this section to his disciples, those who consider themselves followers of Jesus. You know if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Some of you might be on the fence about it, and some of you might not believe or, or, or just kind of hear. We love that. That's great. I hope you feel very welcomed and loved here, okay? You don't have to believe to belong. You're at crossroads. You're welcome all the time, right? But here's the thing. This section is going to be directed at followers of Jesus. I think there are still some helpful things that you can get from it, okay? But just know, Jesus followers, this is for you, and he doesn't really give you a choice here, okay? This is a big part of what finding your identity in Jesus, in who he says you are, matters, okay? So, so it's a big thing. So he, what does he say? He says, you are the salt of the earth, 
As a follower of Jesus, that is what you are. Now, that's kind of a weird thing to hear about yourself. Today, if someone calls you salty, you're actually not acting like the salt that Jesus talked about. You are being mean, and so you should stop being salty. But Jesus understood salt to mean a much different thing, right? So, uh, what did Jesus mean? What is salt used for? I think it's used, but I don't think. It's used for three things that Jesus was talking about. Okay, so here we go. First one is this preserving, okay? Salt was a preservative. Its main use when Jesus was talking was to preserve meats and other food. Why? Because salt, you might learn something right here, salt reduces the water activity in foods that would otherwise spoil them. I didn't know that. Okay, so that's what salt is used for. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are here on earth right now to preserve the good order of creation that can still be seen across the globe from the evil that is bent on destroying it, right? There is, there is a sickness and there is an evil that is trying to ruin and spoil every good thing that God has given this world so that this world would be blind to the existence of a good and a perfect heavenly father. There is an enemy who is literally trying to spoil your life here on earth by coaxing you to follow the ways of his kingdom versus the new way that Jesus brought in his kingdom. The difference between the two is that one leads to disease, destruction, and death, and the other brings life and life to the full. We are the salt on the earth that God uses to prevent everything from rotting away. How do we do that? By living like Jesus. By following his example. By being obedient to his commands. And you can, you can summarize all of the commands of God in this. It's short. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's short and simple. Love God, love others like Jesus, right? That is how we will preserve the earth by preventing the activity of the evil one. The enemy's activity is like the water that spoils the food, right? But we prevent it as the salt of the earth. Here's number two. Number two is this, seasoning, preserving Seasoning. Salt was also used and is still used today to season foods. What's actually happening when you season food? I'm not a chef, okay? This is what I'm told. You are bringing out the best of the flavor within that food. Now listen, because Jesus goes on in this story to give his life when he's killed on the cross and then is raised back to life three days later, you and I are able to have access to the Holy Spirit that lives within us when we place our faith in Jesus. We now have the power and the ability to bring out the best that is still in the world. Many people look at the world and they see it as being a lost cause, right? They think that it is hopeless to ever see it turned in another direction. And, that, and, and that's just how they think uh, it's going to be forever, right? And that can never be how we see the world around us because we have hope. 
in the power of the Holy Spirit working through us to bring about the change for the best, to bring about the best flavors that this world has to offer. There is so much good in this world, and that should not surprise us because God the Father created everything good through his son, Jesus, right? What are the good things? Like marriage, friendship, family, food, nature, rest, work was even good at one point. Relationships, right? Like these are actually, these are all good things. And I know for some of you, those words, those don't seem like good things to you. But, but, but they are good. They were God's idea. But what happened? Sin entered the world and broke God's perfect creation. And then it also shrouded all of it in darkness, so it's hard for a lot of people to see a good God or the good that God created on this earth because of that darkness. And we're here as the salt of the earth, as a seasoning to bring the best out of creation, out of God's design for the world, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in food, in nature, in rest, in work, and all of our relationships. We should make these things taste good to all people. And the third one, look, at, I'll just be honest with you. There's actually not three things that salt was used for back then. We use it for melting. That doesn't matter though, okay? That's, that's just, I needed three and that was the third I came up with. Okay, so it's just like a pastor thing. That's weird. Anyway, so, but Jesus, he concludes with saying what happens when a salt loses its saltiness. What happens when a salt loses its saltiness? It doesn't serve its function anymore. And it just gets trampled. To me, this is what Christians have been susceptible to in America. In a lot of ways, we've lost our saltiness. We've gotten distracted by so many of the wrong things in the world, or we tried to remove ourselves so far from the world that we are not preventing the enemy's way through preserving, and we are not bringing out God's best way in seasoning. So we're just getting trampled in the darkness of this world. So here's the question. How do we overcome the darkness? Well, Jesus tells his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. Light is actually in an amazingly important theme across all of scripture. The first words of Genesis that Moses records from God are this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. That was the first day, right? And then in Revelation, 22. This is the first chapter of Scripture. We're going to the last chapter of Scripture. Revelation 22, verse 5. The Apostle John, he records what he is seeing in the new creation that we will spend eternity in. And this is what he writes. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. It's amazing. We see it, it starts and it ends with this idea of light in the world. So my first question is, what 
is light. Have you ever thought about what is light? Okay, if you're not sleeping yet, I'm going to put you to sleep right now. Does that make sense? So just, you can stay awake, you don't have to. But here's the thing. I was wondering, what do physicists actually say light is? Because I had never thought about what is light. So I found a physicist. This is not a Christian physicist. This is how science looks at light. It's long, it's lengthy, it's wordy. Hang with me for two seconds, okay? So what is light? Let's, let's see. No single answer to the question, what is light, satisfies the many contexts in which light is experienced, explored, and exploited. Short answer is they don't know. But anyways, the physicist... The physicist is interested in the physical properties of light, the artist in an aesthetic appreciation of the visual world. Through the sense of sight, light is a primary tool for perceiving the world and communicating within it. Light from the sun warms the earth, drives global weather patterns, and initiates the life-sustaining process of photosynthesis. On the grandest scale, light's interactions with matter have helped shape the structure of the universe. Indeed, light provides a window on the universe from cosmological to atomic scales. Watch this last part. Almost all of the information about the rest of the universe reaches Earth in the form of electromagnetic radiation. Big words. By interpreting that radiation, astronomers can glimpse the earliest epochs of the universe. What is an epoch? The earliest times, the earliest origins. So as far back as we can go into thinking about how the universe started, we need light in order to do that. Light will take us there. This is quite literally an extremely smart astrophysicist that is telling us that light is what sustains life in the universe, as well as that when you study it, it gives you a window into the beginning of time, creation. And Moses is like, dude, copyright? I literally wrote that thousands of years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like that's... That's what we just saw in Genesis 1. But this is the truth, right? Science never disproves God. It just proves what God has already done and how he designed it to work. And so, so what does light do? Well, I say, I say light does three things. So what does light do? It illuminates. It drowns out. It overcomes and separates darkness, right? It illuminates. I'm going to go quick through these, actually. Number two, it sustains life. Through feeding, right? Through, through, through warming. It warms the earth. It keeps, it keeps the climate and the temperature exactly how it's supposed to be. It feeds the plants, which provides oxygen for us all to be able to breathe. And it's consistent. The sun rises and it sets on the same time every single day, right? It's consistent. It sustains the life that we all know today. And then what's the third thing it does? It exposes. It exposes. There is a beauty that objects take on when they are exposed to light. Or it reveals flaws in objects that were otherwise covered by the darkness. Light comes from God, and it has since the beginning of time, right? It, it, it first came by his word, and then in the eternal kingdom, it will radiate from God himself. But the reality is, we are not in that kingdom yet. And so darkness is still very present in today's day and age. But darkness no longer reigns over humanity. Jesus reigns. Jesus came to earth as the king, and he taught the ways of the kingdom to his people. Now, who is Jesus? Okay? Well, listen to this. The apostle John, 
He was the one who wrote Revelation. He also wrote an account of Jesus' life. We call it the book of John. Titles are helpful. Anyways, and in the opening of his gospel, this is how he starts. He says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is how John is choosing to introduce Jesus onto the pages of his account of the life of Jesus. So in the same beginning, when God said, let there be light, and we know that light illuminates and it sustains life and it exposes, Jesus is compared to light. He was there at creation. He was there before time even began. Jesus is God. He, he is the word. He was with God and he is God. Okay, now here's the thing. Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness. And we as a church are the body of Christ on this earth. We are the light of this world. But how bright we shine depends on how close to the true light, Jesus, we are. So then what connects us to Jesus? The third person of the, of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit inside of us. We all have light inside our very souls, but we can dim that light when we are not surrendered and submitted to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Why would we do that, right? Why would we not want to shine our very brightest? Because it's hard to do, right? But you have the choice to let your light shine, and you have a choice to let it even shine Right, and Jesus continued on. He said this. He said, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Syracuse is a city on a hill. Kind of, kind of curious, but neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A lot of times, people want to hide the light of life in their lives. We're ashamed of it. We're afraid of what letting it shine would cost us. We don't want to be seen as different from others because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And we know that if we truly lived in this new way that Jesus brought and taught, we would look different than everyone else. We would look odd. We would look weird. And so we go along with the rest of the world. And to do so, we have to stop following Jesus and we end up following the ways of the enemy. And that just leads us into darkness. See, I look, at, I look at people, okay, who follow the ways of the world, right? I look at myself when I've followed the ways of the world. And do you know what it looks like? It looks like directionless wandering. It looks like a lot of chasing after things that aren't really there, and it never leaves you satisfied. It looks like people running in darkness with no true destination in life. But when we follow Jesus and when we allow the Holy Spirit to direct the steps of our life, to me, that looks like serving others, putting others' needs before our own, living generously with our life, making Jesus our number one priority, fighting for those who are poor, oppressed, the widow, the fatherless, being full of joy, being full of life and peace, no matter the situation. And guess what? When the world sees you like that, they would say, that looks so weird. That looks so different. But man, I'm attracted to it. I want what they have. How do I get it? 
And the answer is to surrender your life. Believe that Jesus is the light of life and the savior of this world. Place your faith in him and follow him. Then we walk around and we don't look like everyone else. We're not in the dark, directionless, wandering, but we're full of light. Paul says that we're literally putting on Christ. We're wearing him wherever we go. And if we're wearing Christ, if we put on Jesus, we will look different than the rest of the world. Because Jesus is not of this world. So here's what we can't do. We can't run from the darkness. We can't hide from it. We can't try and separate ourselves from it. I mean, we can do that, but we can't claim to be following Jesus if that's what we're doing. Instead, we follow Jesus' example and we go into the darkness as light. Why? Because that's how you light up the darkness. The darker the place we find ourselves, the brighter our light will shine. And what happens when we let our light shine? We glorify our Father in heaven. And that is the purpose of all of our lives. So what is Jesus calling us to do for closing? Well, really, he's calling us to be different, okay? But not different just for the sake of being, like, weird in the eyes of everyone else, right? We look different than the rest of the world by how we love and treat others and affect the culture around us. That's what should look different to others. In a way, we, as followers of Jesus, have to live double different, okay? We have to live double different. Why? Because we have to be different than the rest of the world based on how we follow Jesus in our actions and our humble and loving service to them. But we also have to be different than what the rest of the world expects us to be as well. Because people who aren't Christian are expecting Christians to be different and to be weird. But mostly in the wrong way. Mostly by how they say things, how judgmental they are, and who they will allow themselves to be associated with. And that's not what Jesus was like. So if we're living differently like Jesus, we will in fact be living doubly differently because the world doesn't see us as we should be seen. That's what the Pharisees were like. They let their traditions and their incorrect interpretations of scripture separate themselves from people who didn't believe like them. And then Jesus came and said, that's wrong. That's not what God intended. That's not love. We'll talk about that next week. But so when we put on Jesus, we should look and we should live double different, different from the rest of culture, different from what the rest of the culture says about us. And then we should be attractive. Okay, so Jesus drew people to himself by his love for others. So when we put on Jesus, if we, if people never want to be around us, that's not Jesus. Okay, it's like putting on auto. Okay, here we go. This isn't like a dig on myself, okay? But people didn't care about Cooper at SU, okay? The people that know Cooper, people, people, the people weren't running up to me on the quad. Like, it wasn't a thing, okay? People weren't, like, looking for some positive attention. They weren't looking to have their day brightened by me, right? But then when I would put on Otto, people cared a lot about Otto, okay? They wanted to be around him. And this is what we see with Jesus in the pages of Scripture. He was different, okay? But he made life better when people drew near to him. And that's still true for your life today. And it's even more true for Jesus than it is for Otto because he didn't look like a furry orange. He looked like everyone else. He was fully human and he was fully God. But he acted differently than anything people had ever seen before. And that was attractive. So to close... Jesus was called to do ministry and to build his kingdom in this dark, 
dark world. So he came down into the darkness as the light of light, life, and he shined, right? He shined through the things he said. He shined in the places he went. He shined in private, and he shined in public. He shined when he performed miracles, and he even shined as he died on the cross for you and for me. But he shined his brightest when he stepped out of the tomb, resurrected and fully alive as the light of life. And he's still shining today. But now, by his grace, he has chosen us to be his salt and his light right where we are. And central New York is a dark place. Some may even say soulless. But I know for me, okay, let's make it personal. I left central New York for a time, okay? And I realized how special of a calling it is to do ministry in our area. To be salt and light in Syracuse, New York. To live with the snow, to live with the people, to live without the sun, to live with, without many Christians affecting the culture around us. And I'm just thankful that God made a way for me to come back to the area, to this community, to serve in this community as soon as he did and in the way that he did because it was not as planned, right? And that was by allowing me to serve here at Crossroads. Okay, but I am simply a single human being, okay? I would like my light to shine bright. I'm sure you would too. But our light, the light of Jesus inside of us, shines so much brighter when we're together on the mission of being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And tonight, I consider myself blessed to be ordained by this church, uh, a church that I am excited to do ministry in, a church that, I grew up in, in an area that I went to college in, and have already started some ministry in. But it is a dark place. And I'm asking all of you to join or to continue on as we strive to love God and to love others as Jesus has loved us in a dark salt city. Because Syracuse is a city, specifically a city on a hill. And if we let our light shine in the darkness of central New York, then we have the opportunity to let it shine bright by our good deeds, by how we follow Jesus, build his kingdom, and continue on in the new way that he brought. So let's together as a church go and light up the Salt City. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you are so good. Lord, we thank you that you are so loving. God, we thank you that you have called us as your followers to be salt on this earth, God. To preserve it. To preserve it from the evil that tries to rot it away, God. To season it. To bring out the best in the world. God, we thank you that you have called us to be light. God, it's a dark world that we live in. That's just going to be the case until we go to be with you or until you come back. So God, help us to be that light. Help us to shine bright in the darkest areas of life. God, help us to show up and those dark moments in people's lives, or at those crossroads moments of life, God, to bring your compassion, to exemplify you. Lord, I pray that people would go all in on their relationship with you, God, that they would really want to follow you into all that you have for them. Because God, I believe that together as a church, you have placed us in this area for a reason. It wasn't a mistake, it wasn't an accident, God, we are living in your will and in your plan. God, and I would ask that you would continue to do your will here at Crossroads as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you so much that you have 
so richly blessed us, but God, that you have given us Jesus to set the example for us about how we should do that. Lord, help us to follow that example. God, you're so good. I pray that you would bless everyone's week, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen.